Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here of Not Just Another Fitness Podcast for Fitness Geeks Only. Uh, this week we're talking about the number one key to long-term successful weight loss or fat loss. And as you've gathered by now, it is exercise. Again, that's not really a big shock to anybody listening, but we're specifically talking about the idea of energy flux, right? So pulling more energy through the system. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of big rocks. If you're a trainer, how would you actually program this? And what are kind of the upper limits of this? Right. If I just all of a sudden take up walking like a madman and walk all day, am I going to cover my exercise requirements? And can I just keep walking more because it's a low intensity exercise, something you can probably recover from? And will I just start getting significantly and significantly leaner? Uh, the answer is kind of. So from a programming standpoint, Again, this is, again, highly variable, but the general template that I start thinking about, and then I'm gonna plug in whatever the client's goals are to this template. But at a general template is a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, maybe sometime on the weekend. I want them doing some form of weight training. I wanna have them weight training about two to four times a week most people are generally limited to around 60 minutes, and that's going to be fine. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday-ish, depending upon, again, the client, I'm going to have them do some type of aerobic training, right? We can go back and you can listen to the uh, exercise a week where we talked about aerobic cardio versus anaerobic uh, lifting stuff. I think that was episode 12 or 13. And we're talking about classic cardio here. So using the rower, I'm a huge fan of the rower. Uh, biking, running, versa climber, cross-country skiing. Those are probably going to be your top five. Unless you're a very elite swimmer, I actually want to put swimming in there. Swimming has other benefits. Uh, I think people can see a benefit from it that's very low impact, all that kind of stuff. So in some cases, for just a pure recovery day, uh, I will have them do swimming, or if they're lower on the decondition standpoint, I will do that. Again, client uh, preferences play a huge role in that too. But all things being equal, some type of aerobic training. I like that generally to be lower to moderate intensity to start. If they're a higher level athlete, then I will by all means use higher intensity methods too. So that's the general template of where to start with that. On top of that, I like to program some walking or NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Just get up and move around. So related to the concepts here of energy flux, when you look at all of that, the thing that is probably the most plastic or can be changed around the easiest is generally walking. Uh, most people have a fixed amount of time they can get to the gym, they've got to travel to the gym, they've got to change their clothes. Um, I'm fortunate because when I was doing my PhD, I realized that getting to the gym was going to be a big hassle. So I started having stuff in my garage, I had kettlebells, I had 
an old uh, sports authority bar that I used just for deadlifts and some light overhead work. And then I also had, I could lift, I was working at a med tech company for a while, so I could lift at their gym. I had a punch pass to two other gyms locally. I had my garage. And then I spent a lot of time down at the University of Minnesota, which is doing my PhD, so I could go to the gym there. And I also kept a kettlebell under my desk so I could do kettlebell stuff and bodyweight stuff there. Um, so even just to get some exercise programming in, sometimes you need to get pretty creative with it. Um, but walking is a little bit more fluid. You don't need a warm up to do it. You can do things like park your car away, take the stairs. Uh, I like programming AM walks for myself and clients. So it's more, uh, say, plastic and then you can move it around. It's also lower intensity by nature, unless you're doing super heavy weighted vests or you're just very uh, out of aerobic shape for walking. Uh, the question then becomes, well, what is kind of the upper limit for walking? Now, again, in terms of what the upper limit for strength training is, we don't really know. Uh, as you're listening to this, I will most likely either be in Costa Rica or have just uh, finished being in Costa Rica down at Dr. Ben House's facility there in Uvita, where we are basically pounding the crap out of a bunch of advanced athletes with multiple day training, looking to see what are different effects that happen with them. Uh, we are working to hopefully publish some of that data. So maybe that will add to the body of literature in terms of formal exercise and advanced humans, uh, what they can do. But for right now, that's a little bit of an unknown for formal research. So for walking, the question becomes, what is the upper limit of that? If I take someone from say 10,000 steps a day, which is arbitrary, and I bring them up to 20,000 steps per day, am I seeing a dramatic increase in energy flux. What if I go beyond 20,000 steps per day, right? Which I know that's not really applicable for most people, but maybe you're one of those crazy people that work for Amazon. You're one of the pickers that runs around all day and is getting 20 to 25,000 steps a day. Again, I'm just guessing on that. Do we see further benefits to it? And if you poll most people, they would say, well, you're exercising more, you're moving more, you must see a further benefit. And the assumption is that this would scale linearly, meaning that 20,000 is way better than 10,000 and 30,000 must be much better than 10 or 20,000. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned before, yeah, physiology doesn't work that way. Like rarely are things in physiology even linear. And we've talked about this with protein intake, right? If I go from eating 200 grams of protein per day to 400 grams of protein per day, in studies that were conducted, we do not see any more gains in lean body mass, even though we doubled the amount of protein. However, on the low end, if we go from RDA of 60 grams per day in weight training athletes to 120 grams, we do see a big difference in at least maintenance of lean body mass if they were on a caloric reduction um, or adding more lean body mass. So, uh, so this one on the high end is based on some work from uh, Dr. Ponzer. Uh, you can read a couple of studies that I'll attach here. Uh, one of the main ones is constrained 
total energy expenditure and metabolic adaptation to physical activity in adult humans. And what this shows is that adding more movement, while it is beneficial, is not a direct linear relationship. The upper end becomes what's called constrained, meaning that at some point, there's a little inflection point. So as you do more movement, you do not actually paradoxically burn more calories at the upper end of this spectrum. So now at face value, when you hear that, you're like, oh, I'm just not gonna walk, I'm not gonna do anything, uh, I'm just screwed for starters. The catch though is that most people are not towards that upper end of physical activity, right? They're usually down on the lower end of physical activity and that's usually why they're hiring you because they need help getting more physical activity. As you know, making sure that they can recover from the activity that they are doing also. Uh, if you go in and read the research, they do uh, different things by looking at markers of using primarily accelerometry data. Uh, most of it is then reported in said accelerometry data, which makes it kind of hard to read. I tried to do a direct conversion of that into a step count because in reality, what I use for NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis, is people have Apple watches or Garmin's, or I used to even use old school pedometers, uh, but a lot of people kept forgetting them and they would go through the wash and not work so well. I, did, I destroyed, I don't know how many different pedometers, but with modern technology, there's even programs on your phone that'll do it. Uh, getting a step count is a pretty good metric of just overall movement. Now again, here we're looking at where are they generally speaking. So if I see someone who starts and they're at 3,000 steps per day, they are definitely on the low end. So having them take a morning walk, parking far away, doing different things to gradually increase step count is going to be beneficial. Again, most people say that the magical number of 10,000 steps per day is where should people hit. It's not a ton of data to support that, although I think that's probably a fair number. Uh, numbers I like to see in clients are around 7,000 to maybe 12,000, 15,000 per day. Again, depends on the individual. It also highly depends on do they enjoy walking? If I have someone who's up at 15,000 steps per day, and they're trying to get leaner, and so they think they're gonna walk an additional 5,000 steps per day, and they friggin' hate walking, it's probably not gonna be a lot of benefits at all to them. It may even be detrimental at that point. They're not really necessarily burning more calories because they're on that end, high end, that constrained end of the spectrum, and they just told me that they don't like doing the darn activity. So I'm probably not gonna have them do that. However, if I have clients who are in the, the high end there, the 15 to 20,000, uh, if they enjoy doing it, then I think that's great. Again, there's more benefits to movement than just calories burned. But for our sake of our argument this week, in terms of long-term maintenance of calories, uh, that is the thing that we are focused on. So what are some actual numbers that you can roughly equate this to? Now, again, I may be proven wrong on this because they do not usually use step count per se in the research. But <clears throat> we are looking for just generalities here. 
If I have someone who, as I mentioned, is 3,000, 5,000 steps per day, I'm gonna gradually bump them up. And what you'll find is that most people will find kind of their own set point. For myself, if I'm between seven to 10,000 steps per day, I'm pretty good, I feel good. My body comp's relatively easy to maintain. Uh, mental output is, is good. Everything is, is rolling around pretty good. I have had days where I'm up to 12,000 or 15,000. Again, that's not normal, but if I'm traveling a lot and doing a lot of walking around in a city, that definitely happens. Um, I do get concerned on the other end of the spectrum. If someone is always at 15,000 steps per day and they cannot seem to regulate their system without getting 15,000 steps a day, no matter what, uh, then it does make me a little, a little more nervous. Right, and going upwards from, I would say, the high end from some of the data I've seen, you know, the high end of this where it starts to really be constrained, I'm guessing here, probably around 12 to 15,000 steps per day. Right, so for the most people reading this and most clients listening in, increasing step count is going to be a good thing. The takeaway is that it will not be a direct linear increase uh, based on some of the preliminary data that we have so far, right? As you walk more, the body becomes more efficient. And because it's becoming more efficient, you're actually burning less calories. Again, there may be other benefits to walking, but in terms of caloric drain, you start getting up into greater than 12, 15,000, 18,000, 20,000 steps per day especially if this is done chronically, so long-term, does not automatically mean you're gonna get significantly leaner at that point. There may be other benefits to that movement, but in terms of your programming and where you're trying to help clients, again, more step count does not necessarily automatically mean that they are going to start losing more weight. That linear relationship breaks down on the higher end. And so this is good to know as a trainer, so you can kind of tell clients what is an end point that you kind of want to see them hit. And if they start going crazy on that end, you can show them some data and say that this, you know, in terms of body composition and fat loss may not be the best place to focus your activity. Uh, however, related to the concept of energy flux and long-term body composition, Step count and more movement of NEAT is definitely an area that I do monitor in clients. I do look at step count in most people. And again, programming a simple AM walk, that's what I found is probably the most effective. Uh, other things do add up, you know, making little rules to try to take the stairs whenever possible. That's what I try to do. Those things do add up. And with the advent of kind of Apple Watches and Garmin's and other ways to track these things, I guess Fitbits, uh, it makes it relatively easy to see where clients are at. Uh, they don't necessarily have to put a ton of thought into it. They're just wearing the device. But key is do not get neurotic on the other end of the spectrum thinking that you are dramatically going to get leaner going from 15 to 25,000 steps per day. So if you want to learn more about the concepts of NEAT and other aspects related to metabolism for clients, or maybe yourself, if you're an advanced trainee, check out the flexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T.com. We've got eight different interventions that I break down for you, including 
a one hour lecture on each one that kind of just summarizes everything you need to know. We break them down into five then action items, show you how to pick what is the best action item for each client. And then we have a continuing uh, video talking about the concepts of metabolic flexibility and flexible dieting. So we'll be talking here tomorrow about how the concept of energy flux is related to metabolic flexibility. Uh, in the meantime, go to flexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T, and get all signed up. See you tomorrow.